0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at 1211 First Avenue North on the third floor. Those of you uh, who know me know that I can tend to uh, nerd out on a certain topic. Um, I, I, I can chase the rabbit down the rabbit hole very easily. And th- this week, I find my, I found myself doing this uh, with the idea of shorthand. For some reason, like the idea of shorthand, I was like, "Oh, huh, what's that about? And all of a sudden, like two hours later, I'm like, yeah, the Pittman method of shorthand was way better than the Gregg method. I don't know why they ever used the Gregg method. That's terrible. And I'm, and I'm like seven Wikipedia pages deep on this thing that is completely irrelevant to anything in life. Like, like shorthand died like 20 years ago with the invention of handheld recorders, right? Gone. No, no, no longer needed. Instead of having to write in shorthand, we just hit play and we, right? The, the court stenographer was gone as soon as the video camera existed. And so, but for some reason, I found myself sort of chasing this rabbit further and further down the rabbit hole. I bring that up because in so many ways... Uh, Easter is shorthand for all of Christianity. One of the reasons why sort of a lot of people tend to come to church on Easter, a lot of people tend to invite their friends to Easter services, is because in a lot of ways, Easter is sort of shorthand for everything that Christians believe, shorthand for everything that Christians sort of take seriously. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at that story, that, that, that's sort of shorthand for everything that Christians believe. So I think it's helpful to go over the story of the resurrection. It was funny because I was talking to Rick, uh, the owner of the building here, and he and his family had gone to an Easter egg hunt in their neighborhood over in Tampa. And he said to his, uh, one of his kids said to his dad as they were hunting for Easter eggs, he goes, well, well, dad, you know what Easter's about, right? And (laughs) the owner of the building, Rick, said, "Uh, yeah, but you should totally go ask one of your friends. Go ask that kid over there. And points him over. And so he points the kid over to him and then goes and he says, Oh Dad, it's about it's about this guy named Jesus coming back to life after he had been dead. And the owner of the building, Rick goes, Yeah, I knew that. I totally knew that. And so he sort of played it off and then he came and talked to me this week and he said, So so that's the Easter thing, huh? The guy came back to life? Is that is that what the thing is? And it sort of It sort of blew my mind, but I guess it shouldn't, right? That there are people, and uh, among us, some of us maybe, who have never sort of heard the Easter story in its fullness, never heard it for what it is. And so what I thought I'd do this morning as we get started is just sort of go over what we're talking about here. So what we're talking about is the fact that Jesus lived about 2,000 years ago and on a Friday, the Friday that we celebrate as Good Friday, he was crucified which was a sort of form of capital punishment and torture mixed together. And Jesus was crucified and then he died. And when he died, they put him in a tomb and this was sort of a large tomb sort of made out of rock and they put a stone in front of the tomb. And that's where he laid uh, wrapped in sort of, think of a mummy wrapped in sort of embalming spices. Uh, that's where he laid until Sunday morning, the following, uh, Sunday morning. And when the people went to go check on him in the tomb to sort of check if the spices had been put on properly, check if the bedclothes, uh, that he, they laid him in were proper. They realized he was gone and he had risen from the dead. And so he began to appear to some of the people that had followed him and some people who didn't. In fact, he appeared to, to 500 different people. So that's sort of the story of Easter in a nutshell, Honestly, when we hear that, that is not nearly as exciting as so many other stories we've heard. That doesn't have the woe value as the first time somebody saw The Matrix. Or the first time you watch an M. Night Shyamalan movie and you find the twist at the end, right? As I sort of rehearse the Easter Easter story, it doesn't have that shock value. Uh, For some of us, it doesn't have that shock value because we've heard it a number of times right we 've heard it, and we go yeah 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 i've i I got it easter i i 've heard that one, I got it for some of us, Easter sort of doesn't mean as much to us because quite frankly, we find the story boring, right? yeah, I know Easter, Jesus rose from the dead, got it, okay others of us we sort of hear that story and go yeah that is a bunch of religious mumbo jumbo that's sentimentalism that's very nice for you Christians to believe keep on believing that that's fine I don't believe any of it wherever we find ourselves sort of with this story this morning uh, what I think is true of me and I think is true of us is this that that we shortchange the story of Easter that we don't give it Uh, as much credit as it deserves. Uh, I am guilty of this. Uh, This week I was talking to a couple of you, and they're, oh, yeah, so you're writing your Easter sermon, huh? That's that's a big deal. It's it's the Easter sermon. And I sort of begrudgingly admitted, you know, it's my least favorite Sunday of the year to preach. It's my least favorite Sunday because, you know, you kind of have to preach this one very certain thing. There's only a certain number of passages from the Bible you can preach out of. It feels kind of restricting, right? Honestly, when I said that, and I sort of began to think about it this week, I was shortchanging the story. I was not giving it enough credit. And so here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to look at the way that Saint Paul saw the resurrection, the way that Saint Paul saw the story of Jesus rising from the dead, and the way that he attached significance to it, And I want us to just sort of walk through that this morning. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read a passage from first Corinthians. I'm going to ask that you all stand and read. If you want to read along with me, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, but if you want, you can read along in your Bible on a Bible app, however you want. So let's stand up and let's listen to what St. Paul has to say about the Easter story. This is St. Paul's letter to a church in a town called Corinth. Says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power for he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. When we shortchange the resurrection of Jesus, we miss out on so much of what's significant in our life. We miss out on so much that changes how we live. And Paul knew that. And so when Paul was writing to this church, what he did was he said, Listen, let me explain, let me explain to you why this is a big deal. Let me tell you what is significant about this. And so the first thing he sort of starts going into is this idea of the contrast between Adam and Jesus. He makes a big deal out of the difference between Adam and Jesus, which is this. He says, In Adam, all men were dying. But in Jesus, that is being undone. In Adam, we all experience death. But through Jesus... All of us can experience life. And what he's doing is sort of summing up the entirety of the rest of the Bible in just these few verses. Just like we sort of say Easter is shorthand, he's, Paul's using the same sort of shorthand. Because what he's saying is this, that all of us since Adam, the first man, all of us have made destructive choices. You've probably heard the story of Adam and Eve and the tree when God said, don't eat of the tree. And Adam and Eve kind of looked at it and said, yeah, I, I know you said don't eat that, but I'm going to go ahead and eat that. Because I want that. Because that looks good. And I think it would be good for me. Right? And one of the things that's amazing about the story of Adam and Eve is it's not just true because it happened, but all of us in our life can see that same story play out into things we do. How many of you... Have heard, so, okay, I know that if I do this thing, it's wrong. But I'm going to go ahead and do that thing anyway, right? No matter what sort of your moral compass is, no matter if you're a Christian, no matter if you practice another religion or practice no religion at all, every one of us has had this experience where we go, I know it's wrong to do this thing, but I'm going to do this thing anyway. Right. Sometimes it's as small as diet, right? Like we're on a diet We're we're trying to eat healthy, we're trying to eat clean. And then somebody brings in hot Krispy creams to the office and we look at the hot Krispy creams and we go, you know what? Today's a cheat day. <laughs> that donut doesn't count. I didn't purchase that donut. I'm going to, I didn't buy it. It's not mine. It's not my donut that's, that's small. That's, that's silly, right? But at the same time, how many of us have done that with something more significant? How many of us, no matter what our sort of conscious conscience dictates is right or wrong, have known something in our gut is wrong and said, yeah, I'm going to do that because I want it because I want to feel good. I want to experience this. I want, I want to feel the rush. I, whatever it is. And what we see and what Paul is talking about here when he talks about Adam is the way that that plays out again and again in our lives. And in so many ways, what Adam was doing and what we are doing is trying to save ourselves, trying to fix ourselves, trying to give ourselves you know what? If, if I do this, I will feel better about myself. So I don't care what the cost is. I'm going to do it. If I do this, it will help me sleep better at night. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to fix what's broken in me. And what we find is that we keep digging because those things that we think are going to fix us never do, do they? Those things that we look to to give us value and meaning always come back less and less rewarding. Right, back to the idea of a Krispy Kreme. You, you guys know with Krispy Kremes the law of diminishing returns, right? The first hot Krispy Kreme you've had in a long time, right? Hold on, this is this is a chubby guy illustration, but I think you're going to follow. The first Krispy Kreme is the most amazing thing you've ever had, right? It's hot, melts in your mouth, it's fantastic. So you have one, and then what do you say? That was incredible. I need another. <laughs> What's the problem? What's the problem with the second Krispy Kreme donut? It's never as good as the first. So what do you do? Well, what do I do? I go, there must have been something wrong with Krispy Kreme number two. I'm going to need Krispy Kreme number three. But maybe it's because now like, my mouth is just coated in sugar. They're not as hot as they used to be. It's never as good, right? And, and, and you keep chasing the feeling of that first Krispy Kreme. And it never, it's never as good as the first time. So many times in our life, what we're doing is we're chasing that feeling that we had before. Whether that's the feeling of affection we had in a relationship Whether that's the feeling of pleasure we had from an experience, whether that's the feeling of success when we got the promotion, when we got that $5,000 pay raise, $10,000 pay raise, wherever we are in this, we sort of keep chasing that high. And the problem is it keeps not fulfilling us. And Paul says that all of us are in this boat, that we are all like Adam in this he says, but here's how Jesus is changing this. Jesus broke the cycle. Jesus never once gave into that temptation. Jesus walked by every box of Krispy Kremes he ever saw. But even more so than that, he walked by and never lusted. He never was prideful. He was never angry and sinned. And so we see this picture of Jesus again and again. And so that when he dies, he doesn't just die As a martyr. When Jesus dies, what he was doing was taking your sin and mine. Your brokenness and mine. The things that we've done wrong on himself. He was taking the punishment that we deserved for the broken choices that we make. And he put that on his own shoulders. Now if the story ended with Jesus' death, this would be pretty bleak. But what the resurrection is, is it's God saying yes. It's God saying Jesus is vindicated. Vindication is that feeling when you're arguing with your friend, you look something up on Wikipedia and slide the phone across the table at them. Right? When you, I, I mean, I know none of the rest of you do this with your spouses. But it's that feeling of, no, no, Michael Keaton was the first Batman. No, he wasn't. So-and-so was. And you pull up Wikipedia, you find the answer, and that sort of sliding the phone across the table, you know, hands on your hip, whether implied or not, eyebrows raised, shaking your head. That feeling is vindication. That is, I was right. Okay. The resurrection was the vindication of Jesus. It was God saying, what Jesus was doing on the cross was precisely what he should have been doing and it accomplished what he said he did. And so Paul says that in Adam, we're all in Adam, but now because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can break this cycle. And then he begins to tease out what that means for our lives. And the first thing that he talks about is the fact that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. Now, we don't live in a farming society. Uh, very few of you have any jobs that have to do anything with farming. Uh, we, just, we just don't do that, right? But what First Fruits is, is it talks about the idea that when that first plant sprouts, you know that it's going to be a good year. So um, we have an avocado tree in our backyard, and I guess some avocado trees don't um, put out fruit every year. I didn't know this because I've never had an avocado tree. Right, uh, But now we have for three years, and it's a problem, right, because we have hundreds of avocados that just, like, rain in our backyard. And they're, they're big. You, you, everybody's like, well, this is why, why is this a problem, right? <laughs> I love avocados. Well, first of all, they're Florida avocados. And second of all, they're, they're, they're so big that when they fall, they bust. It's a mess. There's rats and possums, and, you know, it's a mess, what I can see already this year is I can go out to the tree and I can already begin to see little avocados. And when I see those little avocados on that tree, here's what I know, that this year my avocado is going to bloom. It's going to create fruit. Why? Because I see the first fruits. I'm guaranteed to have a backyard full of half-eaten avocados by the rodents because I can see that. Right? The first fruits guarantee that the tree is going to bloom. Jesus' resurrection is a guarantee of our resurrection. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we too, who are Christians, will be as well. Now, here's why this is significant. Because this means that there is more to us than just this life. There is more than just this life. That's good news for us. It's good news for us who have experienced pain. It's good news for us whose lives are not everything that we thought they would be. Whether you're 20 or 30, 40, 50, you sort of look at yourself and say, by this age I thought I would be this. The good news is there is more to life than just this. Trouble is, Jesus says, my resurrection guarantees yours, but we don't, we don't live like this. We live like this life is all that matters. I live like this life is all that matters. This is why we are so upset when things don't go our way. When it rains on the day that we get to go on vacation to Disney, we're upset. Why? Because this was my one weekend away. I... I've been saving up for this trip for three months and here we are and it's raining on the day I was supposed to go to the Disney. This is not the Magic Kingdom. (laughs) Why? Because we want so badly for that experience to mean something. When we live like that, what we're doing is we're living like this life is all that there is. The last thing that Paul sort of shows us is that Jesus' life and Jesus' resurrection doesn't just give us hope for the future, but it gives meaning to our lives right now. It says that Jesus is putting all things in dominion under his feet. And I think uh, C.S. Lewis, the guy that wrote uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and a number of other things, he put this really well. He said that in Jesus, because of the resurrection, all of the sad things are becoming untrue. All of the sad things are becoming untrue. What's happened is all of the death that we've experienced since Adam and Eve, all of the death that we've experienced because of our choices in our lives, in Jesus, those things are beginning to work backwards. It's like spring coming. All of a sudden, where snow had been... Well... Those of you who have family up north know about this. Snow had been piling up. But what happens in spring? That snow begins to melt back down. Winter begins to work backwards. It stops getting colder and starts getting warmer. Jesus is doing that same thing with all of the brokenness in our lives and in this world. And for those of us who are Christians, he's calling us to be a part of it. Which means that what you do... Matters that what you do with your life is significant. Whether you are a see, it's easy if you're a therapist or a doctor to be able to go, oh well, yeah, I'm I'm helping people work through their problems. I'm I'm fixing the health of others. I can I can see how I'm making broken things become untrue. But what if you're an IT worker? What if you're a banker? Right? What, how am I, how is that working? Whatever your job is, God says that you have a chance to make others' lives around you better. I mean, let's just think about a banker, right? How happy are we that we have people working in banks so when we put our money in there, that money is available when I want it on my card. That I don't have to bury my money in mayonnaise jars in the backyard. <laughs> had a friend in high school, don't worry about it. How happy are we that that money is secure? It helps me sleep better at night. Well, I don't deal with our money. It helps my wife sleep better at night. That's helping the brokenness become untrue. No matter what we do, we can see the ways in which we are being called to make all of the sad things, all of the broken things, all of the hard things become untrue through Jesus. And yet, even though the, the resurrection gives us hope for the future, even though it gives us meaning for our daily lives, what you and I end up doing, what you and I end up experiencing is the fact that we just shortchange it. And what's interesting, as you read sort of the stories of the resurrection, the two people who Jesus, after he rose from the dead, had the longest interaction with. He had the longest interactions with two of his followers. One was named Thomas, the other was named Peter. It's interesting that Thomas heard that Jesus had rose from the dead and said, I won't believe it until I see it. Because I doubt this happened. In fact, that's doubting Thomas. If you've heard that phrase, that's where it comes from. It comes from the fact that one of Jesus' disciples said, I don't believe it. And Jesus came to him and said, Hey, Thomas. How are you? Let's talk about this whole I don't believe it situation. And Thomas was like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I believe. And the second person that he spent the most time with was Peter. And as you read the story, as we sort of talked about the story on Thursday night of Jesus' betrayal, Peter denied three times to the point where he had sort of a swearing fit, denied that he even knew Jesus. And yet Jesus appears to him. And says this, Peter, I love you. Do you love me? And, and Peter sort of is, is bashful. And, and Jesus just completely takes time to restore Peter. To say, I understand you denied me. That doesn't change things. And so here's the good news for you and I. Every one of us, whether we're a Christian or not, is in the boat of shortchanging the value of the resurrection of shortchanging the value of Jesus whether it's because we don't believe that anything happens after this life whether it's because we sort of try to live our lives as if this moment is the only thing no no matter where we find ourselves this morning the beauty of what the Bible has to say is that Jesus loves deniers and doubters people like you and me People who don't always get it right, people who have struggles in their faith. And so this morning, the sort of ask that I'm asking you is consider the way that the resurrection can affect your life. For some of you, that means that you look this morning at an empty tomb, at the tomb of Jesus where he is no longer there and say, this is hope. This is hope for my future. For others of us, this is, this gives meaning and shape to my life as a whole. Wherever you find yourselves this morning, the story of Jesus and his resurrection plays a part in that. Let's pray.